Thanks for joining us. I'm Alan Burke, a landscape architect here in the Puget Sound region, and you are listening to the Green Meridian Podcast. Years ago, I was asked to design gardens and landscaping for a rustic log home in a remote area. Deer were constantly on the property foraging the vegetation, killing much of the owner's ornamental planting. Researching the problem, and with a number of distracting jobs in the hopper, I quickly specified deer-proof plants from a list that I found in the Sunset Western Garden book. A week after installation, I got a call from the client. They've eaten everything! they told me, and they had almost all of the plants from the list. I realized then my mistake, one that has informed my thinking ever since. I had not really geomanced the site. I didn't understand the deer life cycle, and I really hadn't brought any eco-analytical skills to the task at hand. On the second round, we installed carefully specified natives and ornamentals that, though sometimes foraged, survived to offer seasonal color and reestablish the habitat. There is a lot to know about these big fellows, so best to study up. You can find Pacific Northwest deer-related lists and more info at our episode link. By the way, if you think deer are bad, we had a client a few years ago that needed to keep bears out of his garden. Our solution, while carefully watching out for those pesky critters, we built a six-foot heavy-gauge galvanized steel mesh fence. You can see it at our website at classicnursery.com. I'm not sure that it works, but at least they don't collapse it when they're climbing it. As we look now to the changing of the season, you may notice increased plant damage due to deer and other animal browsing as foliage and food sources diminish. Beyond the scourge of crane fly, aphids, and other insect pests here in the Northwest, our mammalian villains traditionally include moles and voles, mountain beaver, common beaver, and the deer that wreak havoc in our gardens. Yes, deer may be cute, but they can be devastating. Kind of like my 10-year-old when she really gets mad. Deer may eat hundreds of different kinds of plants and close to 10 pounds of food daily, loosely browsing many different plants in the garden. Preferring new shoots and budding plants in spring, deer also are drawn to acorns, vegetables, grasses, and other young and tender plants. A ruminant animal, deer swallow food quickly, then regurgitate and chew their cud later at a safer location. Extensive damage can be seen in autumn and winter as deer browse evergreen boughs and hardy shrubs left untouched in spring and summer. Deer prefer to be near a protective natural canopy, typically a forested edge of thick foliage. Here in the Pacific Northwest, we commonly encounter the common mule deer and two subspecies, black-tailed deer on the western side of the Cascade Mountain Range and the Colombian white-tailed deer listed as endangered. White-tailed deer can be found in Oregon as well, along the Columbia River and in southwestern Washington. Beyond tolerating deer in a habitat that the animals may have become accustomed to, there are a number of approaches you can take to reduce deer damage as they work to develop appropriate and sustainable habitat. 
You should, of course, specify deer-resistant plants. These may typically be spinier materials, tomatose, or thickly-leaved plant materials, and counterintuitively, plants with a stronger fragrance. A simple solution to minimizing deer activity is to allow a well-trained or unchained dog to patrol the perimeter. In my case, I don't advocate at all for invisible dog fences, as I feel that these devices provide a cruel shock, and frankly, they're a form of animal abuse. If you don't agree, you should try on a collar sometime. Absent this, you might install a fence. The fence will need to be at least six feet in height, and eight feet is better should local rules permit it. Surprisingly, an opaque fence that does not allow the deer to see a safe landing zone on the opposite side may be effective as short as five and a half feet in height. My particular economical choice is to install a six-foot black vinyl-coated welded wire mesh fence punctuated by four by four posts. This type of barrier tends to almost disappear when viewed from a distance, preserving the look of the natural character. In some cases, it may be advisable to mark the fence at regular intervals with nursery tape or cloth so the deer can readily see it and learn to browse elsewhere. The Washington State Department of Wildlife also recommends this natural spray deer deterrent. You simply mix the following in a one-gallon tank sprayer. Start with two beaten and strained eggs. Strain them to remove the white string surrounding the yolk, which otherwise will plug up your sprayer. Add in a cup of milk, yogurt, buttermilk, or sour milk, two teaspoons of Tabasco sauce or cayenne pepper. Add 20 drops of essential oil of clove, cinnamon, or eucalyptus found in small bottles at uh, health food stores typically. Add a teaspoon of cooking oil or a dormant oil and a teaspoon of liquid dish soap. Top off the tank with water and pump it up. Shake the sprayer occasionally and mist it onto the dry foliage. You'll want to make sure your plant materials are turgid or well watered prior. One application will usually last two to four weeks if the weather is dry. We built a large fish pond for a young software magnate years ago that lived far, far into a rural area near Ames Lake, just east of Redmond. He had a beautiful and updated log cabin home built into a heavily wooded pocket of forest. The pond was part of the effort to embellish the natural beauty of the area and to create more habitat. Over time, our clients stocked the pond with expensive koi. One morning, he walked out on his balcony overlooking the pond with his coffee in his hand, and he was listening to the waterfall gurgle and enjoying the commune with nature, when an osprey dove down from a tree and lifted his prized albino koi off to the far horizons. For me, that captured the nexus of the homesteader problem. The predatorial aspect of nature just doesn't mix well with home ownership. I wouldn't be surprised if a new homeowner in a rural area chooses the home initially in part because of the proximity to wildlife, the beauty of a herd of deer, or to be more precise, a mob, a bunch, a parcel, or technically a wrangle of deer. Anyway, a beautifully poised herd of deer might sway the new homeowner to feel a better part of nature. Oh, look, a bobcat. Is that a mountain beaver eating our garden? A bald eagle swooped down and took little Fifi. Is that a bear over there by the trash cans? 
the same beauty that had you buy your rural home may be the reason you sell it and head back to the city. In the end, it may not be appropriate to completely deter deer, as we have to adapt innovative ways to integrate creative designs with the evolution of our expanding suburban habitat. As home sites reach further into natural animal corridors and development forces animals to range further for food, it really is our responsibility as landscape designers to educate homeowners to better coexist with the native character in all its facets, animal, vegetable, and mineral. Thanks again for listening.